Well, welcome to our next episode of Called Connected Committed. I am delighted that we are joined all the way from the United States of America by Dr. Lynn Swanner, who is working for ACSI, a huge organization um, overseeing thousands of schools across America and the globe. Lynn, welcome to our podcast. Andy, thanks so much for having me, and it's great to be with you and also with your leaders. Fantastic. Now, in this um, episode, we're going to be unpacking um, the concept of imagination. And um, we know that we need that right at the moment. But we're going to begin, as we do, by our guest reading from Call Connected Committed, Developing Imagination. Over to you, Lynn. All right. Education are shaped by visionary imagination, evaluating the present accurately and energizing their teams towards a hope-filled future. Imagination is at the heart of pedagogy, bringing creativity to the classroom and nurturing possibility in every learner. Ambitious leaders pursue broad and deep outcomes developing character in children, equity in community, and social justice in curriculum. They seek the flourishing of adults with patience, compassion, and courage to developing imagination. In the study of biblical prophets, Walter Brueggemann writes, the imagination must come before the implementation. Our culture is competent to implement almost anything and imagine almost nothing. It is our vocation to keep alive the ministry of imagination. The Bible understands God as inherently creative. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. And also imaginative. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Jesus constantly reconceives the expected notions of the Savior the people of Israel were awaiting, and he shows himself to be an imaginative and observative teacher, storyteller, and question poser. The New Testament heightens and broadens the Christian imagination through a concentrated attention on rich symbols, such as light and darkness, water and wine, wind and breath, bread and fish, stench and fragrance, seeing and blindness, and more. Above all, it focuses on life-giving images and stories which point to God who is love, and Jesus as God's self-expression and self-giving, breathing his spirit of love into those who trust him. Its practical impact is to stimulate us to imagine living in line with who Jesus is and what he does and to improvise ways of continuing his work of teaching and service in love. Brueggemann builds his notion of imagination around two core concepts, to criticize and to energize. Prophetic leaders offer a wise and evaluative critique of the current situation and then energize their teams to pursue a future that cannot yet be seen. The prophets do this in their context and Jesus's ministry does the same, reimagining the past, present and future. God-centered imagination sometimes defies what currently seems plausible or realistic. Leaders who develop this imagination in their teams, like teachers who do the same with their children, not only enable hope, but also build resilience for challenging moments. Imagination is an expression of the heart's treasure, an orientation of desire, a trajectory of intent. 
The psalmist says, all my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. It defines our behavior and communications, including our communication with God, who transcends our imagining. The letter to the Ephesians encourages us to stretch all our capacities in order to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. But then it goes even further, opening our imaginations, no matter how daring, to the ever greater possibilities and surprises of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. While it is easily squeezed out of the pedagogical craft, when lost to the narrow pursuit of productivity, the imagination of a child has immense potential for good or ill, and it is a raw force present in children, there for the teacher to encourage, refine, and cheer on. It can lead not only into worship and empathy with other people, but also into appreciating and sometimes creating music, art, poetry, fiction, drama, dance, and many other forms and media of communication. Other spheres of activity vital to society also thrive on imagination, such as innovative science, technology, entrepreneurial business, politics that serves the common good, creativity in organizations and institutions, and the shaping of homes, neighborhoods, and the natural environment. Imaginative teachers can open their pupils to the significance and fascination of beauty and quality in such fields so that they become able to envisage themselves making some contributions to them. Lynn, thank you. Beautifully read. Um, that is so encouraging to hear. It'd be, it'd be great just to, as we open up the conversation, just to get your thoughts on, just as you're reading it there, you know, what jumps out from, from the text to you, you know, any particular phrases or ideas that kind of encourage you or provoke questions what, what jumps out for you about imagination from that yeah sure and I just even reading this now it's just it's just incredibly inspiring and I remember um having a conversation with you and professor David Ford when we saw this resource and asking about the dyads the way these were set up and I remember you're both saying they're set up to be in conversation with each other and I know I'm supposed to be focusing on imagination, but I do see this developing imagination and nurturing ambition in conversation. And, and I guess, you know, I think Americans sometimes are thought of as a bit reductionist, um, maybe a bit simplistic. And, and I think we have that impulse because we try and get things into an actual format uh, as quickly as we can. So, you know, I, I have to say, I've been thinking about what would this sound like in action language? And, and I would propose, you know, one way to state it is, that we see what could be, and then we reach for it because we recognize that it should be. So seeing what could be, and then reaching for it because we recognize that it should be. And I think those, those do go hand in hand. Imagination allows us to get a visible of what's, you know, get a vision of what's possible, what could be, but then we see that vision is so morally or ethically or spiritually compelling that we're moved to action, that we actually try and, and achieve it. So, you know, that's, I think, yeah, I think. I mean, when, when you've um, spent a few months writing a document like this, and then someone just puts it in one sentence more eloquently than the whole passage, let's just hear that again. That was brilliant. To sure, see yeah. 
to see uh, what could be. Yeah, seeing what could be and then reaching for it because we recognize that it should be. So this is the benefit of that transatlantic conversation, right? That's great. That's in translation. Yeah, and I think, you know, just when we think about the book of Genesis, you know, we go all the way back to the beginning, you know, that the first task that God gives people is to actually use their imagination. And so, you know, he brings the animals to them and, and to Adam and he asks Adam to name them. And that's literally, I think, a, a great picture in that story of what our, what our job is. And just a quick anecdote. I remember, you know, I have three kids. Um, my oldest now is 16, but when she was about two or three, we took her to a zoo and she saw a real giraffe for the first time. Hmm. And she started yelling. She was like saying, ah, she didn't even have words for it. And she was just beside herself. And I think, you know, as the document says, we, we lose that as we get older. We, we lose that ability, that desire to see what's possible. Um, and, and I think imagination is an invitation for us to participate in what is, what is possible. Uh, you know, I think the document is great in terms of uh, identifying that children are naturally imaginative. You know, it takes a lot to kill that off in children. Uh, you know, I, you look at young children and then we see them going through school. And unfortunately, you know, I think oftentimes it's the environment that they're in as, as hard as we might try, uh, that sort of kills that off in, in children. And, um, I've mentioned this to you, this to you before, but sort of one of the big things over here in the United States is Sir Ken Robinson's Ted talks. Yeah, and he I talks about, um, education's death valley. And he make, he makes that point beautifully, which is, you know, children are natural learners and it's a real achievement to put that particular ability out or to stifle it. And that curiosity is the engine of achievement. And I think we need to ask ourselves how we can actually think about making education a bit messier in order to accomplish this. So I think that looks like not coloring in the lines. So what assignments do we give students? Not sitting in very straight lines. So what do our classrooms look like? Uh, not having our classrooms in straight lines. So what does the physical space of our school look like? And not having our schedules in straight lines. So our school day allows for that flexibility. How do we make room physical and time-wise for the mess that leads to creativity that allows for collaboration, experimentation, and facilitating uh, imagination? And then the thing I would say is, and this is so clear in the document, there is a corollary for leaders. There's absolutely a corollary. The same is true for leaders. You know, leaders are not just managers. They're, we're not there to keep this, the plates of the school spinning, even if that's how we feel most of the time. We need to think about ways to lead imaginatively. How do we inspire our teachers and our students to be imaginative themselves? And, and, I, and I would just take it right back to um, my daughter, the two-year-old with the giraffe. You know, what is the corollary for adult leaders today? And I think the corollary is we need to get out of our schools. We need to see new things. We need to see how others are doing things. We need to actually seek out the giraffes that we've never seen before. And I think that's a big part of your leadership network. You know, getting outside of ourselves, learning from others, thinking collaboratively and, and tackling shared problems. That's great. I mean, one, one, of, the, one of the big challenges of, of, of that is that probably the vast majority of people entering the teaching profession ever uh, would a hundred percent agree with what you know pretty much what you've just 
said, you know, when you ask people why they're in, why they're going to education, you know, very few people say like to, you know, to impose a rigid structure and to kind of limit off possibilities and, you know, so, so there's something deep inside most teachers that kind of really at a heart level, uh, at a vocational level, really kind of like resonates with that. And, and it, it, you know, you're drawing out of people even listening to this, gosh, that's actually what we're trying to do. But, but yet, so many of us find ourselves kind of like boxed in by systems and structures and not that they're all wrong necessarily, but you know, what, what, can, what can we do to kind of subvert some of that? You know, without without just being naive and saying, well, you don't need to worry about any of that. Just do just be creative. You know, what, what are the, some of the steps that leaders could maybe think about taking in their in their approach? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I remember when I was a graduate professor of education in New York and and I was teaching these great classes and students were really engaged and I was teaching an internship class and we had you know, a student who went out to do their time in a school and came back and, and said something along the lines of that, their supervisor had said, yeah, everything you're learning in grad school is great, but then you get out into the real world and you realize it's, that none of that is reality. And that was, that was really heartbreaking and, and obviously a very jaded response. And I think, you know, you talk about subversion. I, I think that um, there's a very real element to that. You know, we all are dealing with, uh, we all are dealing with restrictions and structures. And I think that imagination is exactly what gets us out of that. I think a key piece, and we've talked about this before, but is, is how do we be, uh, how do we increase agency? And I think agency is sort of a snowball concept. You know, I, I think if you don't have agency within your setting, whether you're a student who feels very boxed in by the curriculum, the pedagogy, the way that they're being taught, they don't have a voice or a say, in what's happening, or if you're a teacher who feels similarly because you're you're handcuffed to the curriculum, or if you're a leader because you're responsible for certain outcomes and, and doing certain things, you know, I think we need to be agency rebels. You know, find the places in our schools and our classrooms where we say, you know what, we can we can purposely and intentionally allow for choice, we can ask good questions, we can we can allow people to find their voice. Uh, and to be creative and to develop their imagination that way. There's, there's no way to have imagination if people are, are locked down. So I think it is a, a vicious cycle in yeah. that way. So I think to really look for where are the small places, and, I, and I've seen this even in my research, you know, when you look at things like service learning uh, as a pedagogy, what happens is, you know, oftentimes it's done on the periphery. It get, that gives students tons of agency and their imagination and how to serve their communities just goes through the roof and soars versus studying in a textbook about how do you how do you engage the community when you actually take them outside it becomes a whole different possibility what starts to happen is it creates that snowball so they have service learning in one class and then all of a sudden they've gotten a taste for it and everything else is is just is is not satisfying for them so it starts to build and build and snowball so i think if we start small we shouldn't despise the 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 day of small beginnings let's yeah. look for the places that we can do it and then build on that momentum. I think it's that being shut down and sort of giving up that dehumanizing, depersonalization of, of systems that we need to constructively yeah. rebel against. And that's, that's so encouraging because what, what you're making me think of actually is that um, even in the, 
even in the pursuit of higher performance in examinations and testing, um, you, you can get so far without any creativity, really. You can get, you can get a reasonable part of the journey with, with just learning how to perform under pressure, how to um, regurgitate model answers, you know, exam techniques that will kind of get, get you so far. But, but pretty much in every subject, you know, well beyond the so-called creative subjects, you know, art or music or whatever, the, the, the very highest um, assessment criteria all ask for innovation, flair, um, uh, creativity, problem solving, all of those things that actually, I don't know if the same, I don't, I don't know if this, this is the same in the US, but you can't really get into those higher achievement brackets without exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. You can't yeah. just be trained to be imaginative. You know, couldn't have like an hour class where every week we just learn to be creative. Like it's a, a ridiculous notion really. But ha you know, so, so actually to, it's almost like the ticket to, so, so allowing young people to the space and the freedom to develop that is actually the part of the journey to the very highest academic achievement. Whether yeah. it, you know, particularly, particularly probably in, you know, economics or science or medicine or, or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, well, it's interesting, you know, Sir Ken Robinson talks about how the alternative schools are actually shouldn't be alternative schools. You know, that that's sort of what we default to for, oh, we need students need to be uh, in more engaging environments. They can't sit in rows. They need to be more hands on. They need to be doing vocational things that actually that is is sort of that that's what happens when things go wrong and the suggestion is actually that's what happens when things go right is that you're actually teaching and helping students to become creators and collaborators and i think you know i i think here in the states uh, we we've this movement is really gaining some momentum in terms of pushback and i, I don't want to discount that and and i say that to help empower your leaders and to help think about you know think think sometimes individual schools leaders and teachers can feel very disempowered but uh we've seen we've seen we're starting to see some turnaround where people are developing best practices in these areas they're doing research they're documenting it they're they're collaborating with others and starting to see some real change even from how we grade and transcripts uh what standardized testing is accepted, you know, even for university admission. So I wouldn't say we're there yet, but I would say people are consistently asking questions and uh, and pushing the limits so that that conversation is is definitely advancing. And I mean, I've been in education for about um, 25 years and I would say we're not there, but but definitely we are on our way to really rethinking what our because like you said, everyone kind of agrees with the purposes of education, even if you look at educational standards, and they are those higher levels of engagement that we're looking for. It's our curriculum, it's our assessment practices that don't automatically lead to those and in many cases stifle them. Yeah, that's great. Let, let's um, let's delve into a bit of the theology in this um, passage, because one, one of the things that we're often trying to talk a little bit about is um, you know what what difference the kind of christian narrative makes to any of our thinking here and i'm, I'm intrigued to know what you know what you make of the uh the, the old testament theologian that we've that we've quoted a little bit in here brueggemann um he talks about this uh, idea of 
criticize and energize. I don't know what you, what, what you make of that as a framework or, or even in our current, um, you know, the current setting, you know, our, our culture is competent to implement almost anything and imagine almost nothing. I mean, I, I don't know if our culture is competent to implement almost anything at the moment, but you know, what, what, what do you make of, what do you make of that kind of lens through which to see imagination from a, from a kind of Christian point of view? Yeah, so what I what I really appreciate about his writing, and and I and I think we are in in a critical moment right now, uh, is is the view towards the prophetic. So this calling out what isn't yet, at, it's we're in that interstitial moment where we we are one thing, and we're starting to see that we probably need to be something different. Uh, and that there's more. And the prophet always calls us to that, right? Calls us to a, a fuller vision, uh, to a, a fuller life, if you will. Um, and so I think that, that is, that's the moment that we are actually in because we're seeing, and we see this on uh, in the US, we see this, I think, all over the world. We're seeing widespread disengagement with students. We're seeing teacher burnout that is just off the charts. And this is even before the current crisis that we find ourselves in. And, and so what we're doing is not producing wholeness and, and health and human flourishing as God intended it to be. And so I think it is that prophetic voice to be able to say, look, this is not, this is not working. We're criticizing the current system, but with the eye to energize people using Brueggemann's language to, to take that movement forward. And again, it is, it is, there's this element of saying this, this is not okay. What's going on right now, but we see, and returning to what we talked about in the beginning, we see what's possible. And we also, we know what could be, and we also know it should be. And that motivates us to take action. And that really, in my thinking is, is the underlying motivation for the prophet you know, who speaks out of love, speaks out of conviction, speaks out of truth, but there is that unction, there's that, this is going to call you to action, to change something and to do something. And I think that's, that's the voice in the U.S. that is, is really starting to gain traction because we see the disengagement, we see the burnout, we see that things are not going well, and we need to be called to, call, you could say called to a bigger vision, but as we talked about before, I think called back to the central purposes of education. Yeah, and um, yeah, in in many ways the you know the, in many ways the current situation that we find ourselves in in both our nations it 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 is leading actually to a um, really healthy sense of cr criticizing it, it, it expert the the um, it, a lot of the um, underlying assumptions of the education systems are exposed by this. Um, Crisis. So, you know, for example, it exaggerates social division immediately. It, you know, it stretches um, socioeconomic boundaries immediately. You know, there's, there's there's all kinds of real challenges in there. And and in many ways, you know, that 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 verse that we um, quote there from Isaiah, um, "I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland." It sort of sounds quite dramatic as a picture, but in in some ways, it's it's probably quite accurate. You know, that in, in not not just in terms of um, teacher recruitment or burnout, whatever, but there, there are some sense. There is a sense that there are some wilderness moments, and and something new kind of has to has to break free. You know, I, I, I don't know if it feels like. I mean, t give it just 
give us a little insight into what what that is like in the states i mean t tell us what the what the kind of leadership issues are you know is it the wasteland what are the streams that are beginning to come are they coming you know tell, paint a picture of the yeah. your system for us so I think we have, you know, having visited your schools and spent some time in the UK, I mean, we have very different systems, but but really the universal, the, the pressures are universal. And I think some of the things that we're struggling with is our, our funding uh, and being able to meet the diverse needs of students. You know, we have massive in our sector access problems uh, because of the way that we're funded. So how do we make our schools accessible to students of all backgrounds? Um, you know, so we're, we're struggling with a lot of the same things where I think, and I alluded to this earlier, where, where I think we're starting to turn the tide. And, and I think this is just that prophetic moment we're in is that people are looking at the strictures within which they're operating and are starting to really think out the box. So for example, um, we're saying, okay, we have these funding limitations, but how do we think about potentially entrepreneurship and how do we think about um, creating charter networks and other other ways of funding doing things where we can get the funding we need to increase access for students because we have uh, you know our, our in our Christian education our, our schools are considered private schools in the United States there, there are there is no government funding um, and and that's for any private school and a significant portion of children in the United States are educated in private schools so you have folks who are paying property taxes to fund their public schools, and that's required, and then they have to pay additional money, and this creates all kinds of access issues, particularly for, for families who are lower income or from disadvantaged backgrounds who are stuck in a specific school setting. Um, and so how do we effectively work to, to provide access for those, those children? And so there's this, this a real resurgence of, of new thinking and innovative thinking about how to do funding. We see that also on the pedagogical side. I mentioned, uh, you know, service learning and project-based learning, and and what's starting to happen is the pushback from K to 12. And this is the miraculous part. You know, when I started in education, we had folks who would say things like, you know, I would work with my teachers, and I say, okay, we need to include more engagement and creativity in the classroom, and the response would be, no, we can't do that because universities will push back against that, and we need to make sure that that we have these grades and these tests, et cetera. Well, what started, and this conversation is live right now in the United States, is that the major entrance exams, they're not technically entrance exams, but they're used as entrance exams, with which we have the SAT and the ACT in the United States. There's widespread discussion among colleges and universities of actually dropping those. There are universities right. that have dropped them. Right. Um, and so this is unthinkable if you go back 20 years ago, and it is because it, at the secondary level, but also at the university level, people are saying, you know, this is not a good proxy for understanding really what a student knows, what they can do, are they creators, are they collaborators, and in fact, those tests are driving students the opposite direction, <laughs> and there's a socioeconomic factor to it also, which is if you can afford preparation for those tests, if you can afford private tutors and things like that, we know that you will do better on them. And so there are access and equity issues. I don't know if that work, that's the same in your setting, but there, that's really starting to change for us. We're finally starting to have some of these bigger conversations about do the way, the ways that we measure student learning and are those actually really effective 
because even for colleges and universities, if you look at that research, you know, kids are going to university unprepared. You know, they're not able to write. So it's great that they're taking this test, but what is that actually, what is that actually producing? So there's this groundswell that is gaining, gaining momentum with us. Yes, that, that's really interesting. It's really, I mean, that, that, that's a good few steps ahead of where, where, where we are, I would say, but that's encouraging to hear that. Just, just as we kind of close out, um, I wonder if we could, yeah, just ask you a sort of more personal question as a leader. I mean, as people will be listening to this at the minute, like school leaders just facing like some of the most challenging um, moments. And, and to some extent, the concept of imagination, it can sound a bit kind of rose tinted and, you know, wouldn't it, I'd love to, if only I had time to even get a coffee, never mind have a time to imagine. Have you, you know, when you sort of look back through your experience as a leader, like, have you ever had moments where, you know, really you've struggled to see what could be actually, and, and you've had to kind of draw on some kind of resource or relationship network or something that, have, have there been kind of moments where you've just thought, oh, you know, I, I don't, I don't immediately have like a, just a beautiful picture of what the next three years looks like. And, you know, how, how have you kind of, have you kind of worked through that? Yeah, I think that, I think when you say have you, the answer is probably weekly, if not daily. <laughs> uh, but, but I think you have to learn to kind of live in that, live in that tension and live in that space and, 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 and cultivate it. And, you know, you, when you were talking, you know, I mean, you and I have, um, spent spent time with with our colleague from California in New York City and walked around and and you know you know I'm a New Yorker through and through and and I think what really shaped oddly what shaped my thinking about imagination and why it's so critical and why I, I have to force myself is is really the experiences of 9/11 and mm -hmm. um, you know when we were at the 9/11 museum. In New York City, uh, you know, we got, we actually had our first conversation about imagination, and and you know when you and just to you know be transparent, you know we I had friends from college who were in the Twin Towers, and so this was a very I was working and living in New York at the time, so this is a very personal experience for us, um, and you know when you look at the commission report on what happened at 9/11, what failed they. You know, there's a lot of things you could say, but they called it a failure of imagination. And wow. it, and and this is what happens when we fail to imagine. You know that there were things that we could have anticipated. There were all kinds of messages and signals, but we just fail to imagine what could be possible. We just couldn't imagine something happening. And so one of the, the commission's key recommendations was we need, they call it find ways to institutionalize imagination. Mm. And so how do you build imagination into our regular thinking, how we act in our institutions? Because if 9-11 taught us anything, it's that if we don't, very bad things <laughs> will mm. happen. And the reality is, Andy, you know, to be really blunt, very bad things are happening every day in our educational systems. Students are disengaged. They're checking out either emotionally, mentally. You know, you look at the, the mental health concerns that are on the rise and certainly stress at school contributes to that. You look at the teacher burnout, as we talked about before, and leaders. Um, people suffer in environments where imagination is not encouraged and equipped and instead there's these strong strictures and things like that and i think it's because that's how we we flourish as human beings you know what 
when we really understand what we're missing, what we're losing, uh, you know, we have a failure of imagination education. So I think the promise is thinking through um, how to institutionalize imagination. How do you bring it? And, and in all my roles, this is what I tried to do. How do I build in reflective time within staff meetings to ask the big questions? Uh, how do we spend portions of our classrooms giving students the, the freedom to imagine and to dream? Uh, we talked about the snowball effect. These things, when you start to institutionalize it, these things start to snowball and you start to change the environment, but it requires intentionality. And I would say, do not despise the day of small beginnings because there's a lot, there is a lot at stake. And I don't say that to frighten people, um, but I, I, do, I do say it to, to say, you know, we need to uh, think very carefully about what we do day in and day out to pause and to build in those spaces. Yeah, that's great. That's such a rich reflection on, 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 on um, your own personal experience. Th thank you so much for joining us today. Yes. Just before we finish, can you just say, you know, that first phrase that you just said, it feels like it could be a new t-shirt, a new bumper. <laughs> just, 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 just say that again so that we yeah. can hunt it together at home. Yeah. So developing imagination and nurturing ambition, the phrase would be seeing what could be and then reaching for it because we recognize that it should be. Amazing, beautiful. Len, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been amazing to chat with you um, and we'll see you next time. Great, thanks so much, Andy.